0: This is Josie Brown with Author Provocateur. In best-selling author Lisa Barr's latest thriller, Woman on Fire, a rising young journalist, Jules Roth, is given an unusual and very secret assignment to locate a painting stolen by the Nazis more than 75 years earlier. It is the final request of a world-renowned shoe designer, Ellis Baum, who has a special relationship with the painting and knows his time on earth is short. But a cunning art gallery owner is also searching for the painting. Heir to her art collector family's millions, Margot de Laurent is renowned for getting everything she wants, and the only thing standing in her way is Jules. Helping Jules is Adam Baum, Ellis' grandson. A recovering addict and brilliant artist in his own right, Adam was once Margot's lover. He knows just how ruthless she can be, and he'll do anything to help Jules locate the painting before Margot gets to it first. A thrilling tale of secrets, love, and sacrifice, Woman on Fire illuminates the destructive cruelty of war and greed and the triumphant power of beauty and love. Today, Lisa and I discuss how much of this tale is also a part of her history as an art lover, a novelist, and the grandchild of a Holocaust survivor. So I'm sure it must be a total thrill to yet again put something out there that is a page-turner that people love. I hope that you enjoyed writing it. I could tell that you did some really deep research into this book, and I thought it was a beautiful tale in so many ways, particularly the fact that you take something that could have been a trope, Nazi theft of a beautiful painting from a Jewish family, but you put such a wonderful twist behind it. And one of the things that I love that you did was that the family who was supposed to be protecting the painting who are also Jewish, play an integral role in how it went missing. When you came up with the idea, and you know, with me, it's always sort of like the elevator pitch, the one-liner of, oh, this sounds great, and then you have to do more of a, okay, how is this really going to work, so that it stands out from the crowd. How did the premise come
1: to you, and how did you know it was going to blossom the way that it did? Okay, so... First of all, great question. So my background, I was a journalist for about 25, 28 years and a reporter in the Middle East and covered some heavy duty stuff. So I always say that my journalism training, my boot camp of all those years has really helped me kind of fine tune the art of suspense and finding my story and the nugget and then kind of building out from that and knowing that. If this is happening, that has to happen. If that happens, this has to happen. So in the beginning, I was inspired by this. In 2012, there was in Munich, Germany, an old man who was discovered with 1500 master works of art in his home. He was a recluse, probably an agoraphobic, you know, sadly, but there were Matisse, Chagall, Picasso, literally layered in his stove and in his food pantry. So it turns out, after lots of different twists and turns, that he was the son of Hitler's art thief, the major art thief, Hildebrand Gerlitt, who bequeathed this entire collection in the 70s when he was killed in a car crash. So this son, who was an art dealer himself, you know, here and there, but he held on to this whole treasure trove, many stolen works of art. So, when I read that, that journalist side of me, I could literally feel the prickles on my skin, my blood moving through me, and I I knew I had my story. And it was just, how was I going to present it? So, I thought, what if I had this ruthless art dealer who was going to steal this treasure trove? So, is it a crime if you steal from a robber? You know, that type of thing. And so, I, without giving away any spoilers, the book starts there. And from there, I really tried to develop all the people who would have an interest in this painting. And I've done a lot of research on stolen art from my very first novel. You know, I researched for four years on my debut novel, which was Fugitive Colors. So I had a good base. And from there, the characters, everything else started to really a motor kind of went behind it and started to
0: happen. That is wonderful. I could tell that the research was deep, and now I know why the research was deep. But I could also comprehend why, when you saw that little little premise in the paper, that that would get you going. Yeah, that is—it's just wonderful. Yeah, thank you. The book's protagonist, Jules Roth, is an investigative journalist, like you were. Yes, yes. <laughs> With a true fire burning inside of her to get the story. In fact, she's made her mark as a reporter at a very young age, even before leaving high school, by breaking the headline making story called Porngate. (laughs) How did you come up with the idea for that to be her pitch to work with her journalistic hero, the gruff, seen it all, Chicago Chronicle editor, Dan Mansfield? Okay, so
1: truth be told, that is my story. In high school, I was used as bait to break a Sex porn ring, and we did it in high school, and it was you know a big deal at that time and I was interning for a state senator, and they asked me and this was happening and so I did that, and it was scary and exciting, so I decided you know Jules roth is twenty four years old and she has a lot of me before I became old and crusty and jaded you know is <laughs> she had a lot of my before kids, you know, I would take on any story, you know, nothing mattered but the truth and I was going to get there. And, you know, I didn't see it as a life risk. I was just, you know, tunnel vision to, you know, get the right story and get to expose, you know, bad things that were going on. And so I really decided I, you know, it was COVID, it was dark, it was lockdown. that I really wanted to go back there to that time in my life. So that's how she began to develop. And then I decided is kind of her deep background would be this porn gate. You know, in my situation, there weren't, you know, senators and governors and all these people who were arrested, but there were arrests. And I just decided that this would be a great segue to get her into the door of Dan Mansfield. As you say, the reporter was seen it all, done it all, you know, been there, done that and connect with her.
0: I also felt it was timely, considering the Jeffrey Epstein story that's been out, you know, a couple of years, and then of course with uh, his cohort Ghislaine yes. also getting on trial. I think it timed
1: it perfectly for your book. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, interestingly, before everything exploded with Epstein, I was going to base my main character on her. So Margot de laurent has a lot of, you know, Ghislaine Maxwell's background, sort of the poor little rich girl who grew up and all the damage that went on there. Um, You know, so there were pieces of that that I was inspired for Margot, No question.
0: Yeah. Margo Dillerant. Boy, I tell you, she had my skin crawling. (laughs) Uh,
1: I I, loved writing her though.
0: Oh, I was going to ask you, I I kept thinking, you know, Lisa, the depths that you came up with that made her totally reprehensible. Like, Where did that come from?
1: (laughs) You know, I think if you could ask writers, if they have sort of an evil character and they have sort of the good character where Jules is good. She's not perfect. She is, you know, things. But I think you would find that most of us love writing the evil character. It's fun. It's freeing. You can go dark. You can deep dive. But I thought while I was writing her, you know, it would be very easy to go all out evil. But I really did want to show where she had a lot of pain and a lot of damage and a lot of loneliness in her life, which kind of, that's how she formed into this. I think a lot of it was sort of born with these qualities, but at the same time, I think she was triggered in big ways.
0: Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head. Um, you could see there's a part of her that wants to be a good person, yeah. but knows that she cannot be a good person. She has sort of like this missing element, and I think it's the sociopathic tendency. Yeah. That apparently, you know, I mean, that could have been genetic, who knows, because you can see little traces of that in the people that came before her. Yes. But she sort of is the culmination of all the things that she doesn't want to be because her own mentor, her grandfather was, he kind of skirted the line, but he did it in an honorable way. Yeah.
1: And I think that piece with her grandfather, you hit it on the nose, that was like her saving grace. If she was going to be doing any good, it was with him in mind because he was the only one who really loved her and nurtured her and saw her. So if there was a vulnerable piece to her, it would be her grandfather.
0: And having her as vulnerable as she is made her more realistic. Not everybody is black and white in real life. And her living in the ideal, hopefully, of her grandfather, which was her goal, even though she knew she would never accomplish it, but he was always in the back of her mind what would he say about this? What would he do about this? What would he think of me doing this? Mm -hmm. I felt that that added a whole kind of layer of her that made her three-dimensional versus two-dimensional.
1: Thank you. I I, know I'm a big believer, and I guess because I have my grandmother's voice in my head, but those voices in your head are so powerful. They really are.
0: They are. They are. Um, There is also a ticking clock in Woman on Fire, and it's with Ellis Baum, whose mother was the painter's model. She was the artist's muse, and he has reason to fear that he may die before reclaiming the work of art. I thought the idea for his company, a billion dollar designer women's shoe company called Annika Baum, was brilliant. What role did you want it to play in the plot, and how did you see it as defining him? Well,
1: I think the restitution of art has been such a traumatic thing for so many of the the heirs to the survivors. And they're locked in years long, you know, legal battles. And I wanted it to be an older man. I mean, in my head, I sort of had a vision of Ralph Lauren, and in a sense, you know, where he had this whole background, and he built up this persona of you know, Ralph Lauren, but that is obviously not his real name. And he came from much more of a meager background. And I wanted to have Ellis have created sort of this American dream and become, you know, everyone has to wear their Annika bombs, you know, at all the awards, but the symbolism of the shoes for him where, you know, without giving it away, what they did to his mother, what he saw, and you can't erase that. And no matter how big and how great your life becomes, that core part of you, you can't let go. So, as he's approaching his end, he needs to connect with his mother more than ever. And he knows after reading this robbery about these paintings that there's a good chance that Woman on Fire is in this treasure trove. So, it almost lights a fire under him before his death. He has to get this painting. And so, I wanted to create someone who, People might look in pop culture and think has everything, but do they? So that's why I wanted Ellis Baum to have his stake in the fire, his claim to it, but is his claim stronger than Margot's, whose grandfather owned the painting and has, you know, the documents. So I wanted to create a situation where there was going to be a pull for this painting. Whose painting is it, you know, at the end of the day? So that's kind of where this developed.
0: I also love the relationship between Dan and Ellis. The history they share gives the two men a strong bond from their vulnerabilities. When you think through your plots, are your character's traits already decided, or do you sometimes
1: come to it later and then you layer it back in? You know, first of all, I just want to get back to one thing you said. You know, I love it when someone is interviewing me and I feel like they saw it and just seeing the the vulnerabilities between the two men you know if you could see the chills on my arm they're there thank you for seeing that first of all and um my way of doing it is so i will have each character and i will say everything i can think of about their character down to how they smell what they like to eat you know just everything and then how these characters can connect so you know dan not a fashionable guy okay that's not his gig and, you know, here he is with the elegant Ellis Baum. But what Dan does need is a father figure. So it's like where everybody cross wires and needs and, you know, finds something in another character. So I plot that out pretty heavily. You know, I know who these characters are. And it's funny, I just a quick story. I was taking my two girls who are now young adults to the American Girls Out. And we're crossing the street. And there's a guy in Busy Street, there's a guy next to me and I'm like smelling him. And I'm, I thought, oh, my God, that's exactly how my character Julian smells. You know, so I think as an author, you have one foot in the real world and one foot in sort of your imaginary observatory world of all these things that you collect for your characters along the way. So I think I have a method to my madness And then it just comes from another, you know, angle inside me.
0: That's the journalist in you, too. (laughs) You kind of
1: do the whole five sensory
0: perception kind of journalism. And it's funny, too, because I'm the same way. Like I'll be walking down the street and I'll hear somebody just make a random observation from who's walking in front of me or they're talking on their phone or whatever. And I'll go, oh, my God, I can use that. (laughs) Nobody's off limits, you know, for sure. For sure. I, I agree. Ellis has a grandson, Adam, who happens to be a painter and who also had a sordid and twisted history with Mm Margot. He was Margot's former lover, and now he's Jules' love interest, which makes him someone Margot can use in her cat and mouse game against Jules. Had I picked up this book 15 years ago, Adam's name probably would have been Eve, and (laughs) Margot would have been Mark. And Jules probably would have stayed Jules. By that I mean, whereas Adam's role in the book is integral, he does take sort of a back seat to Jules. But let's talk a little bit about the action of a female protagonist in 2022, as opposed to what it might have been in the year 2000. Oh, there's just so
1: much. I mean, women are, they're the strong, fiery, complex, you know, no longer leading ladies. They are rocking these books. I mean, this for me, even though there are some very important male characters, this is a woman versus woman showdown. But in 2000, that would never have happened. You would have had Dan being in the lead for sure, you know, because he's the journalist as opposed to his young, you know, journalist, Jules, his sidekick. Jules is not the sidekick here. And so I sort of love that women are having this. I mean, it's not just in our you know, literary world, but really across the board, women are at the head of everything. So why wouldn't they be at the helm of all of our literature right now? And I think what's different is you really don't see a lot of sort of evil type of women who are strong and powerful. You know, you would have had the femme fatale back, you know, as you're saying, they would have lured them. And, you know, whoever the man is, the male protagonist in a sexy way and led him off course. That would have been 2000. But now, you know, the women are running the course, the men are there more as supporting actors, which, you know, I love writing male characters too. Each of my male characters, I loved writing Adam, but I loved writing Adam through Jules's eyes, if that makes sense. And so- I love that you did that
0: too. And I also, I appreciated the fact that His vulnerability was heart-wrenching. I was so taken by his whole story of how he was able to pick himself up and make himself a whole person Mm -hmm. after what had been done to him. And I appreciated it as a reader and as a writer because he wasn't just there. He was there with a purpose.
1: Yes, And he plays his role well. Thank you. No, I I appreciate that. I, you know, I really did try to, you know, even there's Lillian, like one of the characters, she's the older woman who was, you know, guardian of the painting and Ellis's half sister. Like I loved writing her. I mean, I'm the daughter of a Holocaust survivor. So I really felt her and my grandmother, the voice in my head was feisty. She would do anything. My family survived because of her, all the, things that she would do, her fearlessness for her family. So I I tried to give some of that to Lillian, you know, um, a survivor, but also very damaged. But yes, I I agree with you about that. Um, Deep within the
0: story, the reality of the painting takes an unexpected, at least for me also mind blowing, plot twist involving the found painting's origin. I won't reveal what it is, But I'd like for you to delve into how and when you decided, oh, this is going to be the twist about the painting. Because we've seen twists on the characters throughout the book. Right. They do unexpected things, or they do things that get them deeper into hot water, or they take courses that you go, oh, that's despicable. Oh, that's awful. But
1: for the painting to have a twist, too, I thought was brilliant. Um. The way I looked at the painting is that Woman on Fire, that's the painting, was just as much of a character as everyone else in the book. So I wasn't just going to let her sit there looking pretty, like she had to have a purpose. She, you know, aside from it being, you know, the muse who the muse is, but I wanted the painting to have its stories, its twists and turns. Because, you know, especially if you have somehow survived the Holocaust, whether you were a work of art, so many amazing paintings and artwork were burned and destroyed. But if you happen to survive, your history is just as twisted as a character who would have survived those very traumatic circumstances. So it would have to be something extraordinary. So that's why I wanted to give the painting, its own little story as well, and the twists and turns as it related to each of the characters.
0: I love the way you look at, in this case, the object itself, the painting as a character, that it had to have its own life, its own story, and you sprinkled that in throughout the book. You didn't just like lay it all in at the beginning or do it as, you know, the end of the book. You Mm -hmm. kind of like pinpointed where you were going to let the reader know some bit of the painting and how it related back to everyone else in the plot. Because everybody has had a reason for this painting to be so important to them, including Jules, who knew nothing about it and had to do her own, as a reporter, her own research as to how this happened to so many paintings during the Holocaust, happened to so many families torn apart during the Holocaust. She wasn't a part of that. It wasn't a part of her background. But at the same time, just her being a part of this story, the journalistic story, and trying to bring it to the forefront, not just to impress Dan, but because it became part of her soul. And not just because of her relationship with Adam, but because it became part of her soul.
1: Yes, I agree and you know for me i think when you kind of add in history that there's truth to the history you know i like when people take away something from the book they learn something you know but not where it's pounded over your head but sort of through osmosis so for me it was very important that this painting represented the 650,000 works of art that were stolen confiscated looted and that sometimes giant numbers almost too big to comprehend but when you watch the journey of one one particular painting, you can really understand the bigger picture as well. And so that's what I wanted to get across, like that this really happened. And, you know, this is one painting, but imagine the journey of all those works of art and what happened. They each had their own stories. And the other thing it was very important for me to convey, you know, although there were many artworks that were not expressionist, they were from different genres of art that were stolen expressionism, which began in Germany really, is not about the subject, but how the painting makes you feel. That's what it is. And so that was so important that how this painting, this woman on fire made each of these characters feel. And I, that was another layer of this book that I wanted to convey.
0: Not only did you do that, but you gave life to the 650,000 other missing paintings. Oh. Okay, I'm going
1: to tear up here (laughs) because I'm a a mush ball on top of everything. So, all right, you got me.
0: (laughs) Well, I think you got the reader this time. So I want to commend you on a beautiful, beautiful book that is all heart, soul, history, and feelings, feelings, and you've captured
1: it beautifully. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Woman on Fire is in bookstores now. This is Josie Brown with Author Provocateur.